to the Life After Jet podcast with me, Eden Law. If you've been listening to the 20-something episodes so far and still not know what Jet is, A, thank you for sticking with me this far, and B, Jet stands for Japan and Exchange Teaching Program and is one of the biggest exchange programs in the world, administered by the Japanese government. And so, this podcast is about the lives and careers of us past Jets, a global alumni community that is, you know, everywhere and does everything, we're, we're basically a secret society, and Illuminati, if, if you will. <clears throat> we continue with the theme of creative industries with my guest for this episode, who is an actor. And if you've ever laughed at a YouTube clip or played a video game, then chances are you've come across his work. For example, the web series School of Thrones, which is Game of Thrones but set in high school, and something called um, Street Fighter? Or something? Never heard of it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this geek-heavy episode. If you're too adult for that sort of thing, well, sorry, maybe next time. Swear word warning applies as we are a couple of fucky-mouthed man-children, and also, as usual, the internet gremlins played Haybok with a connection. So thank you very much for your patience. See you at the end. Hi, I'm. Michael Coleman. I'm from Ibaraki, Ibaraki Saiko, um, or Ibaraki, as everyone outside Ibaraki says. I was there from 1997, the 10-year anniversary of Jet, to uh, the year 2000, because uh, we could only have three-year contracts at the time. Yeah, now I live in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm um, an actor, and uh, thus I'm also a waiter, and currently I am teaching my children every day during the shutdown. So I'm having a lot of... Uh, PTSD from Jet right now. <laughs> I'm sitting here in my bedroom wearing wearing my old uh, Gakuran that I bought in Harajuku for like 10 bucks. <laughs> oh my god, you are too. I did not even notice that. that I was is... like, what should I wear? Oh, I know. They always that make is... me wear this at Jet interviews. If I show up with that, they're always like, where's your jacket, man? I'm like, oh, fine. And then I show up and they're like, do you wear that every year? I'm like, yes, because when I don't, you yell at me. I like to see oh, how many people amazing. you actually go, hey, is that a... I'm like, yep. Wow, that is a really good find. It was my first week. I was shocked. I was just walking through Harajuku, my first time ever there. And I was like, Chicago thrift store, all right. And I'm like, this fits. It looks... Inside it says, wide shoulder. So I found some really wide-shouldered jugakse. And then my son, we went back last year, or a year or two ago, because he's taking Japanese immersion school uh, here in Glendale. And uh, I was like, you got to get some context. So we went to Japan and I went to the same place. I was like, hey, here's where I got my Gakadon. And then we found one that's in his size. And I'm like some tiny little Chugakse. And I'm the giant Chugakse. So then we were looking around like nerds walking around uh, Tokyo wearing the same jacket. I'm every character from a high school anime. Apparently I looked like someone. They're like, hey, you're, you're that dude. I forgot the name. But like twice I've gone to Anime Expo and you're like, oh, you're this character. I'm like, okay. And I've looked it up. Oh, I guess. All right. Yeah, that's what I am. That's me. I like to think that uh, you have inspired one of your students who now uh, works in animation. They, they, they remember you and they've drawn you. Yes, that's yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> we have a guy here in uh, Los Angeles, Aaron. I think he was only there for a year, too, but he he's a filmmaker. So he, his dream was fulfilled, I guess. He made a movie 
uh, about a, uh, an American working in Japan who dies and his father goes over there to, you know, wrap up all the legal affairs or whatever. But uh, he basically got to shoot in his hometown that he that he lived in over there and uh, nice. got distribution in Los Angeles and a little bit. And then in Tokyo and Hong Kong. And I had like a he put me in like a small little bit part. And uh, so I got to film up in San Fran. But the best part was after I did that, I went to Japan. I think I don't remember what I was doing there visiting at some point. And uh, it was there. So I got to, like, in Tokyo, I got a picture of the poster, like, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> Why Jet? Why did you decide to go on Jet? So uh, when I went to college, I had to decide between, uh, like, foreign languages. And I was like, eh, I didn't want to do Spanish because it's too close to English. And I did terrible in Spanish because it was I was lazy. So I wanted to start from scratch. So it was, like, either Russian or Japanese. But I really liked Akira or Akira. So... I'm like, all right, I want to be able to figure out what the hell those guys are saying. So I'm going to go with that. Also, and then I took a semester, and as I was learning it, I was like, oh, my God, this makes sense. Uh, just the Japanese language is more logical than, you know, English, obviously. Like, I think the biggest thing that I liked was that when you say, uh, if some of you say, like, you're not hungry, you answer, yes, I'm not hungry. Whereas in America, you'd be like, no, nah, I'm not hungry. And mm -hmm. that's always bothered me. I'm like, how do you, that doesn't make sense. Uh, so then, yeah, so that was all, I was all on board after that first semester, and then it got harder. Uh, I was doing terribly. I wanted to go to Temple University to do their abroad program, but they needed like five grand or something. And I'm like, I'm not rich. So my teacher then went, you should apply to the JET program. I was an interviewer. And I was like, okay. Um, and she basically coached me on everything to do. And um, basically, I guess it comes down to, I really like, I like the language. Um, I like the culture because I'm kind of an introvert too. <laughs> As for an actor, uh, you're an introvert. I know, yeah. I'm good at the what I'm doing the acting, but I don't like to do like uh, presentations where I have to be myself. I'm uncomfortable with that. Mm -hmm. So I've been having a great time with this. Uh, also, I like order and structure and that's nice. And, you know, people working together. And uh, I just like the picture. I, I think in my, my essay, I wrote about this picture of just like a gnarly old tree hanging off in front of the ocean. And I was just like, I love the, the ugly beauty of that and mm -hmm. things like that. So that's how I wound up there. I actually lived, oh, I have to tell this, I lived in Hasakimachi, mm. uh, which is, which was so small that it's no longer there. It's now part of uh, uh, Kamisu. Mm. Uh, it's the little, if you look in Ibaraki, it's the little chin uh, sticking out on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And I lived next to Choshi-shi, where uh, apparently soy sauce comes from because we could smell it all day. And we were so nothing and useless that we were... <laughs> Uh, not only did we get absorbed by another town, but before that, we had the same uh, area code as Choshi, which is in Chiba. So we didn't even have an Ibaragi because nobody wanted us. And uh, so I always said that we were from Chibaraki. <laughs> and, uh, so after my first year there, it would be a 40 minute drive to get to the train station. That's how rural it was. And so uh, I, my car broke down. Uh, my, my apartment had no insulation i had a heater that it turns out had no filter which is why my room smelled like a gas station all the time uh you have to go outside and pump the kerosene into the thing and then put it in the yeah so i quit uh i did not renew and then the weather got better and i got a car <laughs> nicer car and i was like you know i like it here and i went to my board of ed i was like you know what i'm, I'm sorry can, can i stay and they were already shocked that i'd quit they were like no we already applied for a new jet. I was like, oh, crap. But good news was they this is the one year, for some reason, they decided they, they tried postponing it to like the end of April 
for your last renewal, mm. which meant people in America were sitting on their asses waiting to hear if they were on jet. And so people were just like, I can't. And, you know, in, in over in Japan, everybody waits to the last second to say, no, I quit. Yeah. Uh, so those people were waiting. To, it was like May. And they're just like, I have to get a job or do something. I, I know. So we had 16 openings uh, vacant in our prefecture. Mm. And uh, I went to my friend who was a CIR. And I was like, hey, uh, I think I heard from someone else saying that they, they did this. And I went, um, can I reinstate as a jet to in a different town? And he goes, please. So because he was my friend, he was like, where do you want to go? And I went, I want a city on a train line with a highway. So I wound up in Toride, um, which if I try to say the Japanese, I always sound like I'm saying Toide, but uh, Toride, uh, which is right on the, the Tonegawa. So as soon as you enter on the train or highway into Ibaragi, that's us. Mm -hmm. um, and on the Jobansen. So I moved there and I stayed two more years because I was like, oh, this is great. I lived in my apartment. I was more urban. I could skate everywhere. I could take the train. I had, uh, it didn't suck. Um, my kids were cool. And uh, so, yeah, so I've seen both sides of Ibaraki is my point. Yeah. Uh, the super rural. And, uh, and we also have Tsukuba-san, which is the uh, largest mountain on the Kanto Plain, which mm -hmm. doesn't reach. It's very, very tiny. And we have the largest freestanding metal statue in the world with the... Uh, uh, Daibutsu. Uh, Ushiku Daibutsu. Okay. It's huge. I brought my family there last time. It's it's monstrous. And then at night, it just comes to life and just, you know, stomps around. Oh, yeah. Us. This is Kaiju Land, after all. Yeah. It's got glowing eyes. Yeah. Oh, now I, got... <laughs> Actually... I bring salvation and enlightenment, whether you want it or not. <laughs> I see our friend was uh, obsessed with that. And so he would, they, for some reason, they let him write in the local Asahi Shimbun. So he had one about how uh, Gojira would be great for the economy because it would destroy everything. And then, you know, more contracts. And he'd be like, there's a Nato conspiracy to fuse human DNA with Nato DNA. And that got a, an old man from from the who reads the newspaper, tried to get him deported for that. He was like, he was making fun of Nato. <laughs> <laughs> my greatest teaching moment. I don't know why my JTE didn't think of this, but we, I had a roll of pennies that I just had you know, brought with me as American currency. And so we, he's like, oh, let's make a sketch around this. He's like, Coleman, what are those? I'm like, oh, these are pennies. Oh, may I see your pennies? Like something like that. And every time we said pennies, the kids would laugh. And we're like, okay. And then by the second period, I finally figured it out. Yeah, you got it. So I, I stopped and I went, aha. Okay, hold on, guys. And I wrote, this is penis. Okay, pronounce it penis. All right. Yeah, so not pennies. It looks like pennies, but no. no. These are pennies. Okay, and then they were like, mm, okay. <laughs> Call them out. <laughs> yeah, I thought I taught them something. I had the worst class, literally the worst class, because they took all the bad kids out of each class and put them in one class. I finally got down. I'm like, all right, let's do this. This grammar. Uh, I like to have blank, or I like to blank. I'm like, what do you got? And they go, ha, oh, I like to sex. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I like to have sex. All right. I like to have sex. I'm like, right on. And the teacher's like, what's going on here? I'm like, no, they're, they're getting it. It's like, oh, that's great. I'm like, yeah, go, go, please go. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you about my speech when I left, when I left Jet. Brought us up in front of the Kencho. And I thought we had three minutes. And they're like, no, 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 you got like 30 seconds. I was like, I wrote this thing. So I blazed through it in Japan in front of all the people who've been basically keeping us there. And uh, I think I ended it with, 
Thank you so much for showing me that Japanese students are not necessarily smarter than American students. They're just really good at memorizing. All right, bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I got these students asleep in class. I'm like, he's asleep. And they're like, yeah, but he goes to Juku and he'll pass the test anyway. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, fine. Yeah, that's how you want to, to grade your students. Yeah. So how did you how did you get into acting? And I saw from uh, your Facebook that you went to acting school in Oxford. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, oh, that. Yeah, it was, uh, oh, man. Uh, it's funny because I didn't study it in university. I studied like acting for non-majors, but I still did the non-majors um, theater. Uh, we ran the theater there, basically doing plays repeatedly, doing our own performances. Uh, I started a sketch troupe in um, uh, at Boston University that's still happening. Uh, what year is it? Yeah, we did our 20th anniversary in, 90, in 2016. Uh, so I think we have the 25th coming up. Every five years, we all get back together. So yeah, basically, I I got itchy in Japan. I was like, I gotta get back to do the acting. So yeah, I went from there. Once I got my my taxes, I came out to Los Angeles and uh, finally uh, jumped into it. Uh, I studied at Oxford, just like a summer program. It's the Bada program. So it was a Shakespeare intensive and uh, uh, movement, voice, which I lost, lost, pretty much lost my voice now. Um, yelling at my kids all the time. Yeah, basically been doing commercials for the most part. Um, we had a a stage show here called Dungeon Master, which is also still going on. It's like almost 30 years, but I did it, ran that for about 10 years where we bring people on stage. Uh, they, If you want to be in the show, it's basically a fantasy setting. Uh, if you want to be on the show, in the show from the audience, we take six people, but you just, you know, fill out a card with, make up a character. Like my name's Bob, I'm a dwarf. And then we go, whatever the, the plot is, it's like, well, I know some people that can help out. And you like go to a pub or whatever. And they, they call people down and they're like, all right, here's what we're doing. And you guide them through, um, scenes of the show which are rehearsed but then they show up and blow up everything so it's pretty much improvised at that point so I did that then i started a uh radio podcast a 1920s pulp adventure radio podcast wrangled in one of my friends who was already a voice actor uh named Tallison. basically i did the script and then we did a script reading and one of the girls who came had such a beautiful voice we we're like let's just do this as a radio show then we don't have to buy you know buy anything um, so I learned all about how to do a podcast it was hard 12 years ago. Anyway, yeah, we did that. And then as a result of Talison being in the show, he then became the director for the Street Fighter games when they started back up again in 2009. And so he just kept bringing us in. So half the cast of Street Fighters is from my show. <laughs> when we go on, uh, when we do like conventions, we'll do like, we'll have a booth, you know, Street Fighter actors, blah, blah, blah. And then, then at night we'll take over a panel room and just do our show for whoever shows up. So yeah, so as a result, I'm a character called Cody in the Street Fighter series. who's from the old Final Fight series, if you ever remember that. And so every few years, like, a game will come out and I'll, it starts up again. Uh, you are something of a big deal. Uh, with a certain demographic, I guess, yes. So I had I did have to create a fan page on Facebook as a result. Why don't you just set up like a Patreon? Yeah, just set up a Patreon. <laughs> I will say stuff, unless there's copyright issues. Well, I've done like answering machine messages for guys in Brazil. And, and there was one, one friend, or she's a friend now, a girl I met in Hawaii who is obsessed with my character. She made a, a body pillow of double-sided with my character looking all sexy. She's she's a good artist, but it was very like Slash. And uh, I was like, you should have told me. I would have like recorded a thing in a box so that you could like squeeze it and be like, ha ha, like bingo or something. There's some fanatical Cody fans, as I, we mentioned. I mean, I'm just flattered. <laughs> why why acting? Why did you decide to get into oh, acting? Oh, that's, 
Oh, geez. I don't know. That, Cause that's what I do. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's more of like a character defect. You know, I just, I did it in um, middle school, then through high school and college. I did a directing course. I just, I just enjoy performing. I'm a whore. That's it. I think. And uh, I can't help doing accents and funny voices. Maybe because I was left alone a lot as a kid. <laughs> so it's probably going to happen to my son, too. He's really good at just like putting himself in this imaginary world. And I can just hear him talking to himself and different voices. And I had no friends at one point. I moved to a, a new town in Connecticut uh, from Florida. Yeah, I was overweight. I had an accent. I wore bright colors because I was from Florida. So when I I'd get up on stage and then like suddenly people are like, you know, laughing and like sometimes sometimes clapping. And then you're like, oh, hey, people like me so that became kind of like a drug so i started doing a lot of like you know sketches in high school and then by the end by senior year i was like we were like running the variety shows and i'd be sneaking into other groups that were doing shows and being like i know i'm not in the group but i'm using members of your group so that counts let's put on a show mm -hmm. and uh so yeah that's it basically i'm a whore is what it comes down to how did you uh, get back into acting after jet did you already have oh. those connections beforehand before you went on jet and that's you just basically tapped them before you um... mm -hmm, kind of yeah because there's also a bu underground like there's a jet underground so there's some some bu people here but mainly i had to start from scratch um just back backstage west like a periodical here that for actors you know just going out doing did some background things then i signed up with an acting studio and they had a you know here's how you get an agent you find, fill out papers and send out emails and, not emails back then um and then i got an agent and then the agent would send me off on things and then uh became who do you know and oh yeah gotta drive around drop your headshots off at all the casting offices they have a bucket just put it in here we don't look at it. and then uh sometimes they, they will and be like oh, okay yeah we need that guy and they'll call my agent and they'll call me in and then they get used to you and just yeah just building up relationships and like the voice acting like i said it's uh they, they asked us at a convention they were like how do you get into voice acting i'm like uh start a show with Callison over here and he was like no 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 <laughs> so that's basically what it was i mean all of us who are in the street fighter game are because we knew Talison. now i don't uh, unfortunately i don't know much about the computer game industry in spite of playing all the games all the time yeah. now uh, you mentioned Talison a few times uh do you want to like, explain who Talison happens to be oh oh man uh yes it's Talison jaffe uh when i met him he was known as that kid from mr mom uh <laughs> he was a child actor uh, he started doing voiceover, uh, I think because he was tired of, uh, if I recall correctly, having to comb his hair and look clean. So he, he could just show up, however, because he was, he went through a lot of, uh, different hairstyles. We had, uh, our group of friends are very, uh, eclectic and artistic, so they're always just wearing whatever. And, but yeah, he's a voice actor and, uh, gamer. Actually, a lot of our, uh, Tales of the Extraordinary, the podcast I mentioned, um, it's, based on a White Wolf game called Adventure, which is set in the 1920s. So I basically just took games and just started out by writing story arcs based on those games. And then when I couldn't have writer's block, I would just call in the actors to, to play the game. And so, uh, yeah, he would game with us a few times on that. Um, and then, yeah, somehow he kept managing to get in. I'd wrangle him into my shows, the poor bastard. Okay. <laughs> and now he has a show called Critical Role on uh, the internet. Critical Role, yeah. How many computer games have you done? So you only do a contract <laughs> for one Street Fighter at a time, but not the whole yes. franchise. Mm. Oh, no. No, it's not. It's non-union, I believe. So, no. 
at Comic-Con, we had a Capcom, like, talk to the voice actors thing over whatever their social media was. The only thing I remember from that whole thing was somebody online going, so you guys make lots of money, right? And we just were laughing for like two minutes. And then that's when the, the laughter turned into crying. Yes, Obviously there were tears. Obviously quite sobbing. <laughs> they, they, they pay you for the day. Uh, there's like a minimum, thank God. It's like, even if you're there for like an hour, it's still like two or four hour minimum. So you get like something. And then it's like another, what, two, three years before you re revisit the character. So it's every so often. And then, of course, if it's big enough, you can do con things. You're the voice actor for this particular character. They will have to bring you back unless you think so, but sucked and are hard <laughs> to work with. <laughs> I'm, I'm always surprised they do, but they don't have to. The, this is all since 2000, since Street Fighter 4. That's like the, re what's the, what's the comeback, basically. Mm. Um, you know, because in the 90s, it just, they made so many games that it was just absurd. And then it was just sort of like nothing. Mm -hmm. And then so when I got it, I was like, oh, Street Fighter, that's cool. Uh, and it wasn't until I went to like the, the release party when I saw like all the fans show it up. I was like, holy crap. Oh, okay. This is, this is more important than I thought. Yeah. Then Street Fighter 4, this, and then Street Fighter Alpha, and then Ultra, and then blah, blah, blah. So that's it. What's the process like of uh, being a voice actor? Like, uh, how, what does a typical day look like? Well, I don't know. You walk into a booth. No, you, you show up. Sounds um, like a joke. Start of a joke. You walk into a booth. A voice actor walks into a booth. But a bob. Yeah, go down to the studio. We uh, talk to the director a little bit. They give you the sides. You don't see the sides beforehand because of all the NDAs. So you got to sign the NDA. Mm. <clears throat> uh, the guy who does Street Fighter, the producer who does Street Fighter, does a lot of uh, charity things on eBay with posters. So it's almost a given you're going to spend about five, ten minutes signing a million posters. <laughs> He's like, can you sign these? We're doing another raffle. I'm like, okay, all right. Then yeah, you go in the booth, you got the sides, uh, they'll either be paper, some places are cool, and they got the monitor like this, which is nice because they can control it from the booth, from their booth. I like to watch through the window because they use uh, like uh, to watch the editing programs because I, I do my, my own podcast. Because these are Japanese games, we have the Japanese game first. Um, this is where I get to use my jet powers. I get to uh, listen to the Japanese part and laugh. Um, so, sometimes they're open, especially when Talison's directing because he also knows Japanese. Uh, which is how we, we met because we're both people who uh, lived in Japan. And uh, he he and I will be like, uh, that's that's actually not what, quite what they said. How, why don't we just change it to this? And the trickiest part is, though, you have to fit it in the same amount of time. So whatever they say in Japanese, uh, even just like, you have to try to say it in English as fast as you and with as few amount of words or as you can, or the opposite, vice versa, where they speak way too much Japanese and you just have to go like, awesome so then you gotta word it out like mm, yeah that's really awesome and so they'll play the japanese you hit the timing and then it hits then it records so it's basically play record and then you i like to look through the window at the booth uh, at the um the studio area where they're working on it and you can see it was the wavelength of the japanese and then you can see what you just did and you see them kind of sometimes trying to fit it like stretch it a bit or bring it in but if you stretch it too much then it'll sound really slow if you bring it too this much then it'll right. so no do it again all right fine um so yeah just do that until you run through everything they try to save the shouting for last mm -hmm. <laughs> in the uh the fighting games especially that's a lot talison especially hates that we have something we call hulk juice i'm gonna let you know on that uh it's the it's the chinese um uh cough syrup uh, it's basically menthol and honey. And uh, so sometimes I'll walk into a booth and I'll see one there and I know that somebody just left it for me. So, uh, um, And basically the guy who did Hulk on uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, Avengers, the good one, uh, because he was, oh, 
all the time, he would just down that stuff. And so he told Talison and then Talison told us. And so now everybody's got walked around Hulk juice. So because, yeah, you just ravaged by the end. You guys yeah. ever do uh, bloopers? Because I, I remember uh, <laughs> listening to the Thundercat bloopers. Oh, no. Yeah. Have the you ever heard Thundercats? that? Yeah. The old one. The old one, the 1980s Thundercats. Oh, no. no. No? There's stuff like, for example, um, the voice actor for Mumra going, oh, I want to see your tits, my dear. <laughs> my character is uh, escaped from prison, so we had a lot of prison jokes on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I finally got them to let me use one that was the least risque, and I can't remember what it was. It might have involved soap. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of coronavirus, how often do you go to con? <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got a problem. Well, you know, maybe only twice. Well, we do Anime Expo for Jet. We do. Um, we go to Anime Expo and have a panel every year to and it gets like three hundred people sometimes. Um, to just it's a Jet panel where we just uh, we come we bring the um, Jet coordinator from the consulate. Uh, they do their slideshow that we answer questions. And I, I've seen people come into interview that have. You know, we got through that. Then we there's, of course, Comic-Con, which I don't know when the last time I didn't go to Comic-Con was. Uh, and we we have a cosplay problem. I have a problem that I look like a little finger. So since 2011, I've been dressing up as a little finger. And when I don't, people get mad. So it's, it's just like the thing with the, the coat. So I, I just do at least one day as a little finger. And then one time I did uh, I did Doctor Strange for a year because I borrowed my friend's outfit. And I was like, I'm going to finger on Thursday and then let's switch. Uh, so he borrowed yeah. a finger on Thursdays. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I love saying that. that's the best part about being little fingers. You can just say whatever. So then we do, we switched. And so he was little finger and I was like Dr. Strange and we never replaced it. So I was doing all sorts of Dr. Strange appearances uh, at, for like at WonderCon, which is the other like redheaded stepchild at Comic-Con. And uh, the funny part is the year that we switched, like all the other little fingers, I was like the first little finger for a while. Then there was a second. I was like, oh, bro. And then there was like four or five. And we're like, oh, there's so few of us. And then this one year, they all like sort of like were tired of it. Like the same as me. So I did it on Thursday. And then there's a group shot. There's always a big group picture every year. And uh, that year I was Dr. Strange. So I bumped into other guys on the floor. And I was like, hey, what are you doing? Where's your, where's your costume? He's like, nah, I'm doing another costume. And I was like, oh. And then uh, they're like, did you hear though? There was a there was one little finger. I was like, only one? They're like, yeah, and they had a great picture. Everyone was holding swords up at him. And they got a picture. I was like, oh, that would have been awesome. And then I saw the picture, and it was my friend wearing my costume. And I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever done a mashup? Like, uh, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> little strange finger? Uh, literally, I did that, yes. Strange Dr. Finger. Strange finger is what I called it. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Strange finger. <laughs> <laughs> it's little strange. Never let a little finger near your moon door, kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, a lot, lot of strange fingers scouts the dimensions for girls and boys and everything in between to stock his brothels. Yeah. Yes, we got yeah. the kinky shit. <laughs> oh, there's I, another thing you can look up. There's but, something called School of Thrones. Uh, it's a mashup. Uh, Mercer did it. He um, he directed it, ooh, like in 2013 or something. And yeah, I was. It's Mean Girls meets little, um, School of Thrones. So I was co-assistant vice principal Littlefinger teaching sex ed. Uh, it was a good time. Well, you've been you've been in a lot of shit, man. You've been in a lot of things. I guess. I, I love cons. I love going to cons, but I've never actually gone to talk to the actors and everything. For one thing, you have to pay to, Yo, to do yeah. yeah, I don't I don't pay for stuff. I'm I'm a child of Asian immigrant parents. We don't we don't pay for shit because <laughs> we're poor. I'm just cheap. 
I don't know. This. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a child of poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw a friend actually at a at a con, and I was just like, "Oh, hey, let's get a picture." And he goes, "Oh, sorry, no." <laughs> I'm like, "What?" Uh, it's because it's if there's a business model. That's the thing is, you either book them and you pay them, or you book them and guarantee that they will make enough money selling headshots. Um, so that's a way that they save the con saves money by making the actors charge you for their headshots, which is, yeah. We did a convention called Fantasy Con. Don't ask. This guy made like, he sold his farm, made 3 million bucks and was like, I'm putting on a fantasy convention. So he got everybody, all the hobbits were there, like Jones and all these other people. And um, a couple of them, there was like no game. <laughs> so that we, to cut across the convention floor from what we were, we were doing like a singing gig around it. We would cut across the autograph area because there's never anyone there. <laughs> And then uh, one of my friends was signing, he was, but he wasn't signing. And so, uh, like, we hung out at one of the booths, and he was he's always angry. And we were just like, uh, so how's it going? He's like, you know, man, like, you're not making any money. He's like, he's like it's, it's my time. You know, that's what it, because I'm in Utah. I'm here for, like, a week. It's just, it's my, <laughs> it's just being wasted. He's not even making money. Like, he's just, nobody. <laughs> that's the reason they don't uh, pay you. Let's let's mention, talk about your yeah, podcast. You can, oh, okay, it's called. Tales of the Extraordinary. Tales of the Extraordinary. 1920s pulp adventure radio serial. Yeah, it's got it's uh, got your typical 20s tropes, like uh, a British explorer who's very imperialistic, uh, named uh, Little Dickie Broughton, world-renowned explorer extraordinaire. And then we have the, of course, Gatsby the chimpanzee. We have a character called the Unknown, who's basically the shadow. Uh, but we, we had this guy who had a great voice. He just sounds dead inside. It's amazing. He always kind of says, I am the shadow of the night. I can't even do it. We have a, oh, we have a, a was it silent screen star with a beautiful singing voice and he's very bitter about it and he has the ability to anytime he sees anybody do anything uh he can copy it for a time and he's always you know name dropping he's like well you know douglas and i and you know douglas fairbanks and then they they finally meet in the first story arc and you realize that they actually have hated each other this whole time and it's, uh you've always been a pussy fairbanks but then he'll still be like well when i go out with douglas sometimes because he's <laughs> he's hollywood he's like books who reads books but then we've started in Hollywood, and then it's been going on for over 10 years. We had our 10-year anniversary. And there was a point where we like we went to Japan uh, through Russia. We burned down the Imperial Palace at one point, shouting, USA, USA. That was a good time. <laughs> um, <laughs> we went from there. One of the characters took home a, a ninja. Uh, sorry, a uh, Kunoichi. Mm. Uh, that was fun. Uh, went to Australia. We had a character, uh, an actor who couldn't do the voice. He's like, I can't do Australian. We're like, no, 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 just shout. He's like, all right, I'm Australian. I'm like, there you go. That's right. Got it. <laughs> and so he would always be like, hello, mate. <laughs> I'm offended and, and amused at the same time. Yes. Oh, this is another Mercer story. The first show we put him in, I was like, all right, get on up there. And we gave him a, a character and he goes, Mickey Mouse. And he starts speaking Australian. And we had to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, do you, what is it? He's like, well, you said it's Australian. I've been practicing Australian for a for a game and i'm like okay that's like real australian and unintelligible can you do like you know hollywood australian <laughs> gonna tone it down he's like oh like australian we're like yeah there it is that's better yeah yeah <laughs> basically it sounds like an f like an afrikaans but you can't even do it in afrikaans accent so yeah, yeah we have them <laughs> <laughs> we did go through china once and that was embarrassing uh none of us are chinese one guy was doing david lopan it was just a mess. Um, and we had a friend of ours who was Chinese who was kind enough. We do live shows as well. Mm. He was kind enough to stand up and go, I'm offended. And then he said, 
<laughs> yeah. That's the thing we do we, uh, about a year into it. We were like, let's do live shows. So uh, what you hear online is actually what I've taken from an hour show and condensed to 20 minutes, cutting out all the audience and the laughter and then flubs. Uh, during the show, we have the audience actually do the sound effects because I want them to be like involved in the show. So my wife holds up cards that say bang and the audience goes bang. And then uh, somebody else has a glockenspiel. And whenever they hear something that's um, unintentionally uh, innuendo, they will ding. And you're like, all right, try to squeeze in there. I don't know, it's kind of tight. Push. And then it'll be ding. And then we all pause and go, huh. oh, yeah, yeah. Whoops. And then, oh, yeah, we do commercials. Uh, at some point, we have a, sp and here's our sponsor. At which point we say, somebody give us something to sponsor. And so we've had, um, I think our worst, our best was the uh, Lost Generation Furniture Emporium, as narrated by T.S. Eliot and uh, all the, the famous authors just in their own style. Someone did Dorothy Parker and they made it rhyme. Um, Hemingway did the instructions for how to put your furniture together, oh which is all really short sentences that end with him drinking and then getting a shotgun. Um, we did Spanish American World of Warcraft, World World of Spanish American Warcraft. That's what it was, um, involving elves and um, Teddy Roosevelt. Also, we had one early on where the the guy who did the unknown is he's certifiably insane and just like um, ideas pour out of his face, and he just was like, "Hold on, give me a mic." And he goes, hi, this is the unknown. And when I'm not killing uh, criminals in the streets, I like to take in the scenic beauty of Yellowstone National Park. Of course, I bring along a bottle of Ethel's Ether, because sometimes even bears have secrets. And then it's this, he was like, Ethel's Ether, the only ether you can use on a bear. And so pretty much every single commercial we've ever done since then has been a jingle, the only something something you can use on bears. Oh my God, I, I have to check it out. That sounds And it's, it's education. Amazing. We take actual historical events and we go, oh, hey, let's put our characters in it and fuck it up. And so, oh, oh my God, do you take suggestions from uh, people emailing in? Oh, of course, yeah. Um, my wife mainly, but yeah. Like Fort, uh, Henry Ford built a city in the middle, like a small Midwestern town in the middle of the Amazon called Fordlandia. So we did an entire story arc where our characters wind up in Fordlandia and just burn it to the ground by accident. And then um, there was the time when the American government was poisoning people during Prohibition. They're like, you're not supposed to drink it. Fine, here, we're pouring isopropyl alcohol. There. And people, were, it was like industrial grade alcohol and people were in New York were dying and we incorporated that into our show and found out who the culprits were. And yeah. So, and then you, you do a lot of uh, editing of videos just for shits and giggles <laughs> yeah I forgot about that. started with hobbit because i was like this is absurd i think it was after the second hobbit i was like what the hell was that so i'm like all right i'm not gonna read the book i haven't read it in a few years i'm gonna just watch the movies then read the book again and i read the book and i got angry and then i went okay that's it i've been wanting to do this for years and i finally just sat down and i was like how do i do this i just that's it i've been using vegas for another show we did called adventure which was like uh the dungeon Master show i mentioned earlier but it was sci-fi so we would record the shows and then we would do shorts in between seasons, kind of like tie the seasons together um, for no money because that's me. And um, so I had to edit everything myself and I used the same program and I was like, oh, I can do editing on this. So I learned everything video for that. And then I was like, oh, that's not that hard. So I started cutting it together and now I have a three and a half hour Hobbit instead of a nine hour Hobbit. And then after that, I was like, now I can't watch movies without being like, that could be better. I made Deadpool for kids for my son. I did the first two Game of Thrones seasons for kids. Uh, that was hard. Uh, Deadpool 2 is the hardest. That's impossible. I did Rogue One. I made that make sense. I got rid of the whole middle section. I put Vader after the credits and just put You Got the Touch from Transformers the movie over it. It worked really well. Um, <laughs> yeah. So basically, I watch movies and I like edit them in my mind. Some movies you can't fix. I did Suicide Squad. It's better, but it's still bad. 
Oh, that's it. I did Suicide Squad without Joker. I was like, let's just get rid of the Joker. He has no effect on this movie. And if you didn't know that he was in it, you wouldn't know that he was in it. Is it online? Oh, yeah. I have them all up on my Dropbox. How do you, how do you uh, get around the whole copyright stuff? I don't know. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a file that's stored there. It's not like, you know, I have no idea. Nobody's yelled at me yet. Uh, you mentioned about the preparation, writing and things like that. Um, I guess for anyone who's thinking about writing or producing their own shows and that, that sort of stuff, like what's, what's the creative process like, you know, do you have any kind of tips or advice? Well, as far as the writing part, I stare into space for like half an hour. Um, just rearranging like plot ideas, mm -hmm. putting them together. Like I said, another great way, especially in this format is to do uh, role-playing games. <laughs> like uh, uh, my current story arc that I'm really behind on uh, is basically just, I had two, the exact same storyline, but two different groups playing this game. So just the stuff they came up with, I'd put into the show or I, I you know, make it more palatable. And the, the, these ideas, like there's, uh, it's at the Olympics in the 1920s, for example, the Amsterdam Olympics, 1928. And um, just the way they react to certain characters, like they'll murder one or, and another group wouldn't do. And so I just, I take their ideas incorporated in there. Uh, a lot of it just sort of just comes out. Um, I, we had a writing group where we would meet once a week, again with Talison. I got to stop name dropping. But he, uh, either scripts we had or comic book scripts or short stories, or in my case, this show. And it's really good to get feedback from people who are like, uh, can you do this instead? So yeah, that's it. My, it's easy for me because it's all dialogue. I don't know if it's easy. It's actually harder, <laughs> but uh, I'm really good with dialogue and more than prose. So it's because uh, I did a lot of improv over the years and it's just like, uh, just coming up with things to say is easier than having to come up with like narration. Um, the hard part is because it's a radio program, we have to speak awkwardly sometimes and be like, Oh my God, you just threw your gun at that guy's face. Like you can't Describe. see it. So we have to narrate it. Did you just blow up an entire city block? Yep. But on the other hand, there's things like one of the actors goes, you know what? If we didn't do it in this format, there's no way we'd get a laser on top of the Eiffel tower. I'm like I know. Thanks to Michael for a great chat. When you think about it, considering the performance routine many of us as ALTs or assistant language teachers do in a classroom to keep students entertained and engaged, working in the entertainment business seems like a natural step. If you're wondering just how good Michael's impression of Littlefinger is, check out episode 2 of School of Thrones on YouTube. For more of the good stuff, see the footnotes for links to his work. And he has popped up on various interviews on YouTube too, where more professional interviewers than myself ask more interesting and relevant questions. And just to explain some of the references in this episode which we didn't get to for those who don't know, Michael mentioned Mercer, and that's Matthew Mercer, who is another well-known voice actor for games and anime, and is one of the cast members of the enormously popular web series called Critical Role. Well, that's it. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and I will see you next time. Bye-bye! If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, email me at webmonster at jetaainternational.org. This podcast is generously supported by Claire, the Council of Local Authorities for International Relations. However, it is an otherwise independent work by me, in law. All opinions expressed in this podcast are solely the private opinions of individuals and do not represent any organization that they work for. Music adapted for this episode is intro for a non-existing video game by Captive Portal and is licensed under an attribution share-like license available on freemusicarchive.org.